get fixed in a minute. Prayer. What is prayer? Do we know how to pray? Do we pray as often as we should? Do we know what we should know about prayer? Let's talk about it. Two little boys prayed. The first one, I think, gives us great insight as to how we look at our relationship to God. He prayed, Dear God, please take care of Daddy and Mommy and Baby Brother. And please, God, take care of Yourself, else we're all sunk. (laughs) How true that is. The second little boy was asked to say the prayer before dinner. He thanked God for each of his friends, naming them one by one. He thanked the Lord for each family member, from his parents to his brothers and sisters, his grandparents, his aunts and uncles and cousins. Then he gave thanks for the ham, the mashed potatoes, the corn, the green beans, all this time with his head bowed and his eyes closed. Gave thanks for the salad, the bread, the corn, the green beans, the salad, the bread and butter, the pickles, and yes, even the salt and pepper. Then came a long pause, and he sat there with his head bowed and his eyes closed, and everyone waited and waited. And finally, the little fellow looked up at his mother out of one eye and asked, If I thank God for the broccoli, won't he know I'm lying? out of the mouth of babes. (laughs) What is prayer? If you ask a child what prayer is, they may say something to the effect that prayer is talking to God. Well, first of all, let me say that. To the mature Christian, prayer is so much more than simply talking to God. Random House divines prayer as a devout petition to God, a spiritual communion with God, as in supplication and thanksgiving and confession. I think maybe spiritual communion best describes what prayer is. Communion is intimate communication. And in interchange or sharing of thoughts and and emotions with God. Prayer is offering the contents of our hearts to God. When we bow our heads in prayer and open the thoughts of our hearts to the Lord, what are we offering Him? Do we openly and honestly commune with Him. We can't hold anything back that maybe we feel too ashamed to talk to Him about. 
because we know that God knows all things and He knows our hearts, whether we're willing to admit it or not. We just can't communicate with God if we don't know Him. Communicating intimately with God denotes that a relationship exists between us and God. You know, we communicate with our families and those closest to us in a totally different way than with a stranger who we happen to pass by and meet on the street because there's a certain familiarity uh, with our families that does not exist uh, outside that intimate circle. As New Testament Christians, you and I have a special relationship with God. We have been bought with a price. We belong to God. Therefore, as Paul told the Corinthians, we are to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. We belong to Him. How blessed we are to have this wonderful exclusive relationship with God. And because of this, we all need uh, to learn how to have more effective prayer lives and how to pray God as we should, to the God as we should. First, let me say, uh, good prayer life requires increasing our awareness of God. It has been said that prayer is a conversation between two who love each other. A child is talking to his heavenly father. Do you remember the first letter or any letter that you got from your sweetheart? Long, long time ago. What did you do with that letter? You probably read it. You read it again. And you kept on reading it until what happened? You memorized it, didn't you? And why did you read that letter over and over again? Because you were in love, or what you thought was love. You loved that person, so you wanted to soak up everything that they said and did. You analyzed each sentence of that letter word by word, and after a while you could remember every punctuation mark without even looking at it. We need to fall in God in love with God's letter, the Bible, the same way. Now wait a minute. Don't get excited. Don't jump up and down. I'm not saying that our love for God is anywhere close to the same as puppy love. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just using this story as an example to make a point. It's my parable, if you will. I've heard many times that the meaning of a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I'm telling an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. The more we study God's letter to us, 
the more we will come to love him. Reminds me of a song that I hear every once in a while. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. As we study his word, we will come to know God in a way that only a diligent, consistent study of his word can produce. We can enjoy a relationship that can only come about through time spent with God, our Heavenly Father. You remember the puppy love times? You just couldn't be together enough. You couldn't wait until you saw him or her again. How much time today do we spend getting to know God? 2 Timothy 2.15 admonishes us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But we cannot communicate with God if we do not know Him. Let's look at three P's in prayer. First, let's look at privilege. Do you have the privilege of prayer? This privilege of prayer is not available to all who try to pray. Some might be praying people, maybe even praying fervently, but do they have the right to pray? That is, to expect God to hear them when they do pray. God does not hear the prayers of the following people. He does not hear the prayers of those who do not seek God's word. Their prayers will be an abomination to him. Proverbs 28.9 Even his prayer is an abomination. When he turns his, way, his ear away from hearing the law, his prayer is an abomination. God does not hear the prayers of those who will not endure sound doctrine. Their prayers will fall on deaf ears. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. If we won't listen to God, why should He listen to us? Next, God won't hear the prayers of those who let sin separate themselves from Him. Their prayers will not be answered. Isaiah 59, beginning in verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Next, he will not hear the prayers of those who fail to treat their wives as they should. Their prayer will be hindered. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife, 
as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. He will not hear the prayers of those who pray without faith. We all know that without faith it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 Asking God for anything with doubt in our hearts ensures failure. Remember the little boy that wouldn't give thanks for the broccoli? He wasn't sure about it. He didn't have faith that that was right. Which brings up the question, which we probably all have had at some time, is there a limit to what one can ask God to give us? James 1, beginning in verse 5. If you'd like to turn there, I'll give you time. James 1, beginning in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, or he, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, stable in all his ways. Can we just ask for anything and everything? Look back at verse 6. Verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith. What does that mean? We all know where faith comes from comes from the Word of God. When Christ teaches about the danger of riches, should we pray for these? When we know the days of miracles are gone, should we pray for a miracle to happen? Asking in faith limits what we can seek for in prayer. The privilege of Prayer is not extended to everyone. So then who does have the privilege of prayer? First of all, the sinner has privilege to prayer. Now don't get upset again. Just hang on. The sinner who prays to God seeking truth and righteousness, his prayer will be answered. We learn this from the example of of Cornelius. Think about it. He was a good man. He was still in need of salvation, so he was not yet a child of God. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Then later in Acts eleven fourteen, we read where an angel told him to send for Peter. He says, who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved? 
Cornelius was still not yet a Christian, but he was praying to God. Yet his prayers and alms had been noticed by God. When Peter came to Cornelius' house, he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Acts 10.31 So God saw to it that Cornelius had an opportunity to hear words whereby he could be saved. Turn to Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 13. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, this is Cornelius, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. Be sure and note this well. Cornelius was not saved by praying per se. He needed to hear the words by which he could be saved, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's power to salvation. Romans 1.16 But someone asked, what about John 9.31? Turn to John 9 and look at verse 31. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, he hears Him. Let's look at the context of where this comes from in which this statement was made. A man who was blind from birth was healed by Jesus, happened to be on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees were arguing that this couldn't have happened. Jesus couldn't have done this because he was, couldn't be the Son of God. He was violating the law. He was a sinner. He did it on the Sabbath day and was therefore a sinner. You might say, I know that God does hear sinners because He hears our prayers, the, the prayers of God's elect. There is no man without sin, so what is meant here when this statement is made, God heareth not sinners? Note First of all, the statement was made by the Pharisees. Their understanding of sinners meant notorious sinners, those who let sin rule their lives, who live in sin. So they said, the Pharisees said this, God does not hear sinners, which is not always true. Now, God does not hear violent sinners and sinners who will not... Uh, listen to Him and have their own way and, and uh, go their own, live their own lives, but God does hear some sinners. So God heard the prayer of sinners like Cornelius and Saul of Tarsus who were hungering and thirsting for righteousness, who were asking and seeking for righteousness and gave them an opportunity to hear and obey the gospel of Christ. God will hear and answer the prayers of any sinner who is seeking truth and righteousness. Second, God will certainly hear the prayers of a Christian. 
his children. Jesus has become our high priest. And as a faithful high priest, he is able to aid his brethren. Look in Hebrews chapter 12, if you'd like. Hebrews, no, Hebrews 2, beginning verse 17. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Also, look in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. You know, sometimes in a weak moment, we might see ourselves down here on earth with billions of other people and wonder how it's possible for God to even know that we are here, that I am here. As one individual among all this throng of people. And then we read passages of Scripture like these and realize that, that God does know us. He knows everything about us. He knows every move we make and allows us, therefore, to approach Him boldly. We don't have to be afraid when we approach Him in prayer. We don't have to be weak, need, but we can come to God boldly. And when we ask according to faith, we can expect that prayer to be answered. Our high priest is one who is able to save us to the uttermost. Since he ever lives to intercede to God for us. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Lowly man cannot approach God directly. There must be a mediator who speaks on our behalf to God. Little children, these things I write to you, John says in chapter 2, verse 1, so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Prayer is the blessing of all who have put on Christ and have become children of God. His ears are open to the prayers of the righteous, 1 Peter 3 and 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
if we desire the privilege of prayer, then we must be either a sinner with a good heart seeking after righteousness and obedience or a faithful child of God who obeys the Lord. That's only two classes of people that God listens to when they pray. Prayer encompasses speaking and listening. We must be careful not to do all the talking. Prayer is definitely not just placing words before the Lord, leaving them and quickly returning to other duties. Someone once rightly said that when our prayer is finished, we must get up off our knees and help God answer it. We pray for the sick to get well. But one good boost back to health is personal encouragement. After we pray for the sick, a visit will help the healing tremendously. Did you know that in ancient times men did not pray to God but before Him? There was such reverence felt toward God that, that men did not even uh, dare to presume to talk to God. The Hebrews of a long time ago revered God to the extent that they didn't even say His name. Instead of addressing Him as God, they would instead uh, simply call Him Lord or Yahweh, which is the uh, Hebrew word for Jehovah. But because of Christ's sacrifice, now you and I can approach Him as God, our Father. We can call Him God without any fear. In prayer, we are letting God into the core and the center of our being. It's really more than just letting Him in. It's welcoming Him in. What a blessing it is to be with someone from whom there's no need to, to hold back anything, to be afraid to tell them anything about yourself that we don't have to hide it. To be with someone who knows us exactly as we are, who knows that we are faithful Christians. For He made us and loves us and accepts us, His children, even with our weaknesses. Think about this. Although there's so much external pressure to look good on the outside that is have our hair fixed just right wear nice clean clothes lose weight etc we do all of that <clears throat> to be accepted by others <clears throat> but God accepts us for who we are and not how we look if you were asked the question what is the purpose of prayer? Why do you pray? What would your answer be? In August of 2005, Newsweek magazine asked a thousand Americans 
what they believed and how they uh, practiced their faith. One of the questions was this. What do you think is the most important purpose of prayer? They're, these are their responses. 27% said the reason is to seek God's guidance. <clears throat> 23% said to thank God. 19% said to be close to God. 13% said to improve a person's life. 9% said other things. 4% said don't know. And 5% uh, said uh, to improve a person's life. As Christians, <clears throat> what should our answer be? We are taught to pray. We are encouraged to pray. To pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5.17 which to me the meaning of is to pray without ceasing is to be in a prayerful attitude all of the time. And our heart's desire should be to emulate our Master who was a man of prayer. Jesus began His ministry with prayer. Look at Luke, Luke 3, verse 21. Luke three twenty-one. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while He prayed, the heaven was open immediately after His baptism. He ended His ministry in prayer. Look at Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said thus, he breathed his last. Jesus lived and died in constant communication with his Father. In a time of weakness, we might look at God as some distant figure who is just too busy to be bothered with us. But he is our Father with whom we can communicate at any time. That's why He sent His Son to walk this earth to leave us an example that we could follow in His steps. As a master teacher, Jesus knew it would be much easier to learn a skill if we can see someone doing it, doing whatever we're expected to do. When our boys were young, they were shown many times how to put their toys away. They always learn better where things go when we showed them where to put their toys rather than just say, clean up your room. Jesus didn't just tell us how to pray. He showed us how to pray. He often stole away for some quiet time with the Father. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark 1, 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, He went out and departed to a solitary place where He prayed. 
Why do you think Jesus felt such a, a pressing need for private communication with the Father that he rose up early in the morning to go pray? If you read the verses preceding this one, you'll see the many pressures and demands that were being put upon him at that time for healing and teaching and taking care of those who needed him. Look back in Mark 1 to verse 23. Now there was a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out to him. Then look down at verse 29. He entered the house of Simon and the synagogue. They entered the house. Uh, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and and Simon Andrew. Simon's mother lay sick. He healed her. Look at verse 32. At evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were possessed. Even after dark, he was constantly giving of himself, draining his energy and patience and stamina. So to Jesus in this case, the purpose of prayer was a time of renewal. The peace and the strength uh, that he him my eyes are going bad. A time when he availed himself of the serenity and the peace and the strength of God to rebuild his inner self. Remember that Jesus was Lord, but Jesus was man. Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got thirsty, like you and, and I do. He felt it necessary to find this quiet time with God. Then what does that tell us? He always gave us the perfect example to follow to maintain prayer as a necessary part of our life as eating or drinking. If you ate only a few bites a day, you wouldn't survive very long. And praying just a few minutes a day is not sufficient for spiritual growth either. Mothers and fathers know that empty feeling that comes when the day draws to a close and they have given their hearts and energies to caring for the needs and the problems of the family. And there's not one thing been done to refill their cup all day. Have you ever considered the fact that we Christians have a Savior who knew that same emptiness? Who showed us the way to keep on giving without ever feeling that we are alone? So what is the purpose of prayer? One way to remember the purpose of prayer is to use the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. For the letter A, we use adoration. While we are worthy of praise, God is certainly worthy of our praise and our adoration. And while we are to praise God, 
in song, we are also to praise God in prayer. When Paul prayed for the Ephesians, he took time to praise God. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be led with all the fullness of God, filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power that works in us, him be glory in the church of Jesus Christ for all generations forever and ever. Amen. King David gave us an example of offering adoration and praise to God. Second, First Chronicles 9, 10 through 13. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time reading that. Uh, the second letter in the acronym is confession, C. There is mercy to be found in confessing one's sins. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. The Christian enjoys cleansing of sin by the blood of Jesus when he confesses those sins. 1 John 1, 7 through 10, a familiar scripture. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Listen. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us all from unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and the Word is not in us. In another scripture, we have an example of David confessing his sin. Go to Psalm 51, Psalm 51, beginning in verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving, loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, not only my transgressions, uh, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge transgression and my sin is always before me. Then the letter T, Thanksgiving. 
Being thankful to God is emphasized repeatedly in exhortations for us to pray. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Continue earnestly in prayer, being diligent in it with thanksgiving. Colossians 4.2, pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 and 18. When we are anxious about something, the medicine that will cure that anxiety is a good dose of fervent prayer filled with thanksgiving to the Lord. Paul told the Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Jesus set an example of thanksgiving in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, Jesus gave thanks. John 11, John 11, verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was, was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Daniel had the custom of thanking God three times a day. Daniel chapter 6 in verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before God, as was his custom since the early days. Although we ask God for many things, we must not forget to be thankful for everything. And then the S in the acronym is supplication. We are encouraged to let our requests be made known to God. We just read Philippians 4, 6, which states, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We are commanded to make supplications for all. 1 Timothy 2 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I exert, exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. A man by the name of Arthur W. Pink said, Prayer is not so much an act as it is an attitude. An attitude of dependency. Dependency upon the Heavenly Father. Our comfort comes through God when we make our requests known to Him. 
believing that he will answer according to his will. So prayer involves an attitude of complete trust in the one who will answer. Therefore, let us show our trust in God through faithful prayer. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your greatness. Thank you for giving us Jesus who left us a perfect example to follow. Help us to always love you and to ever be a praying people. Lord, teach us how to pray. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to earth to die. As Ron pointed out, Jesus was born to die. <clears throat> he was sent here to the earth to die. Man had separated himself from God through sin, and in God's eye, the only way man could be brought back was through blood not through the blood of animals, as Moses had taught the people, but through the blood of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Today, we live under Christ's law. Christ has been to the earth. He has shed His blood. And He teaches us that we can take advantage of that blood and have our sins washed away by faith, repentance, confession of sins, confessing His name, and being baptized, we can be saved and have our sins washed away. If we are faithful Christians and have wandered away or stumbled and become weak at some time in a public way, then you can come forth and confess that sin and we will pray with you and for you that that sin might be forgiven. If you're subject to the invitation, won't you come while we stand and sing? <clears throat>